Philippians chapter 1, verses 27 through 30, reading from the New Living Translation. Above all, you must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. Then when, whether I come and see you again or only hear about you, I will know that you are standing together with one spirit and one purpose, fighting together for the faith, which is the good news. Don't be intimidated in any way by your enemies. This will be a sign to them that they are going to be destroyed, but that you are going to be saved even by God himself. For you've been given not only the privilege of trusting in Christ, but also the privilege of suffering for him. We are in this struggle together. You've seen my struggle in the past, and you know that I am still in the midst of it. I've shared before my love for nature uh, documentaries. But allow me to just reflect on that love for nature documentaries again here uh, this morning. I, I love observing nature. I, I, for me, it just shouts the wonder and the creativity of our God. I love to see the interplay between habitat and inhabitants. I love to see the animals just navigate uh, the spaces that just seem to be so perfectly designed uh, for them. When I think about that, I think about in Genesis chapter 1, that a point of observation in the creation narrative um, is that God is bringing order and purpose to the universe. That what he's doing is that he's organizing and structuring his creation in a way that will bring about flourishing in the world. Specifically, what you'll see is a parallel between the opening set of days um, and then the second set of days, that as God, again, brings to order and purpose uh, the, the world, then the, the second set of days, he creates inhabitants. He creates the animals that will flourish specifically in these um, areas. Again, there's parallel and there's interplay between what's happening there. But again, it's just not in the creation narrative, but as we look at creation itself, we see that there is incredible connection between animal and habitat. Right? You look at the, the beautiful camouflaging and colors and patterns that animals display and just how perfectly it allows them to fully live into the habitats that were designed for them. The formation of the animal's attributes just, again, allow them to, to navigate and to live and to survive and flourish in these different, just uh, incredible environments. The habitat and the inhabitant, inhabitants end up matching beautifully. Again, it's like you could say that life was made to flourish in a space designed just for it. There's beautiful, again, beautiful interplay between animal and environment. And this can be reflected on further, even further when you just observe how playful life is. That when you see, um, again, these, going back to these nature documentaries, when you, when you see uh, infants and, uh, and adolescent animals, they're, they're pouncing, they're playing. They're, there's, like, there's, there's this sense of joy and delight that's about these animals. And when you go to the zoo, and I, I love watching uh, the monkeys at play, and you see the way that they're just, just like 
the most incredible acrobats navigating these trees and these structures that are flying across this, these spaces. And it brings delight to us. There's a sense of joy and delight that we get as we see nature at play, filled with joy, filled with life. You think about a dolphin surfing in the waves. You think about a snow leopard elegantly and powerfully running down this steep, incredibly steep mountainside. You think about an eagle with outstretched wings and just floating in the sky. Animals' habits are completely in line with the animal's habitat. There's not a disconnect between where an animal lives and how that animal lives. Why do I say all this? It's an obvious statement, but I want to make it anyways. The Philippian church lived in Philippi. <laughs> That's where they resided. And uh, because they lived in, in Philippi, which was a Roman colony, there were certain expectations for how they should live in this space, in their environment. As an outpost of Rome, as inhabitants of Rome, uh, there, there were certain ways that they were expected to live. Their values, their behavior, their affections were meant to match their place of living. But when Paul writes to the Philippian church, this is what he, he, he provokes within them. This is what he wants them to realize. Philippi was not meant to be seen as their primary place of living. What does he tell them? He, he says it this way, live as citizens of heaven. Live as citizens of heaven. And I don't know, we gotta we got pause for a moment as we say that because I think when we, when we think about heaven, we think about a place that we're disconnected from. We think about a place that we are eventually going to go to, right? We think about that when I die, I will go to heaven and be with Jesus. But the imagery and the understanding, the reality that, that the New Testament is constantly teaching us and showing us is that no, no, that because of Jesus' death and his resurrection, God has inaugurated his kingdom here and now. That when he teaches us to pray, he's, he's teaching us to say, God, let your Heaven, let heaven come. Let your will be done on earth, here, now. Right? What we're praying and, and, and understanding is that God is longing for us to understand that he has brought heaven to earth. And that, 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 that heaven is the place that he rules and he reigns. It is the place of his very real presence. And so what Paul is, 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 is causing us to catch and to understand our current habitat, our current environment is heaven, is that we have been, um, we've been made alive and aware of God's presence here now. It is in him that we live and we move and we have our being. Live, live as citizens of heaven. 
live now, the space around you, the place that you walk around, the place that you navigate, that what is meant to grow more and more real to us in our awareness, our understanding, and in our conduct is that we here now reside beautifully, wonderfully in this incredible environment. And that is the very real presence of Jesus. And the first thing I, I just would hope would become a point of application for us this week, today, and, and for the rest of our lives would be this place of saying, I want to better know my environment. I want, I want to better understand this place of living. To, to say this way is live here, explore, rest, reside in the reality of Jesus's presence. You think about it this way, right? There's, there's a certain delight that we get when we start exploring a new building. I know that, that for me, that, that I love uh, looking around Faith Communities campus because the way that it was designed, there's all of these random and weird storage spaces and rooms that you can go ahead and navigate. We have a place that we call Narnia, right? Like it's like you open up a closet and you open up a door and all of a sudden it's like a whole new reality that you get to walk into is in all the different storage spaces that exist uh, behind the stage of the worship center. But, but it's, it's so great open up doors and to step into the space and find out, oh, what, what resides here? What, what's, what's stored in this space? And I think that it's that kind of same posture and mentality that we have as we understand, man, the reality that I live in, the space that I reside in, this is a space worth getting to know more and more. Right? And that's what, what we do together on Sunday mornings and in, in, in our awaken groups and our conversations with one another and our daily rhythms of, of spending time in God's presence. What we're doing is, is the space of saying, God, help me to understand you more. Help me to have delight in exploring and growing more aware of who you are, your, your character, your nature. And so often when you see Jesus teaching in, in the gospel narratives, what do you see him doing? He's going around and he's teaching and he's starting to speak in parables. And this is so often what he says. The kingdom of heaven is like. The kingdom of heaven is like. What, is, what does he want his followers to understand? He wants us to understand the culture of heaven. He wants us to understand who he is and what his reign is like and what his, his kingdom is meant to embody. And then by that, how we're meant to live in this new space and this new reality. Because, because here, here's another point of application, right? It's this place of saying, if heaven is where we live, then that changes how we live. So often scripture is using language that would lead us into this understanding that we're being integrated into a whole new way of living. It, it, it uses language like you're being adopted into a family. You're being grafted into a tree. You're part of a body. You are the building blocks of this temple where the, where the incredible glory and presence of God resides. Your citizens of a new city. This is your new and greatest reality. 
And Jesus is like the tour guide to this new place of living. He's, he's the one that we begin to model our lives after. And he's the one that teaches us how to live in the kingdom of heaven. When I started dating Larissa, she started introducing me to what I'm just going to call classy stuff. <laughs> she, it was, it was like going to ballets. It was going to the theater, right? Like it was going uh, to, to see orchestras, and it was going to museums, and it was for me a whole new space to to explore and to live into. And can I just say that one of the first museums that I went to with her? I was so intrigued by a painting that I started looking at it really closely and I touched this painting in this museum and then I was scolded by the docent that was off to the side, like, you can't do that. And I was like, just stunned, like, ah, what am I doing? Like, this is a new space for me. I'm getting used to it, right? I'm getting used to, to understanding what it looks like to navigate these different places. And, and that's this idea is that as I, as I followed Larissa around, I was learning, I was observing, I was watching, and I, and I, was, I was being formed and shaped to, to, to know to live in this new space. And we also understand that we're influenced by our places of living. That our places of living do have impact and influence upon us. The spaces that we occupy are calling us to have certain expectations. They're calling us to, uh, to have certain places of allegiance. They're calling us to have certain affections. And we must recognize that there are all of these different places that we reside in in our lives. And all of those spaces, when we navigate them, there is this understanding that they are seeking to, to conform us to their image, to learn how to live in those spaces. And, and as followers of Christ, the, the, the thing that we're being beckoned into is this place of saying, the place that most defines my living is heaven. The, the, the place that, that is meant to, to have the greatest uh, call to allegiance and affection is heaven. That is the greatest reality that I live in. And so we say in this constant understanding, in all the different places that I navigate, all the different spaces that I live, and all the different groups that I might be a part of, understand that I'm constantly seeking to posture my life in a way that heaven might have the greatest influence upon me. Live as citizens of heaven. We live in the most incredible habitat, and we long for this most real environment to have influence on all that we are and all that we do. And what I, what I, what I really love about how Paul writes this is that is, is, it's not just that, that, that I live as a citizen of heaven, but this is, this is a communal command that, that he gives. Heaven is the place that we reside together. Paul is stirring up within the Philippian church an awareness of a greater commonwealth. Yeah, it, right, you right. It's a space of understanding. Like for, for those in Philippi, they were an outpost. They were a colony of Rome. That that was, that was the place that they had civic duty to and affection for and and it isn't that Paul is saying that you just need to like 
not care about Rome anymore, but it's this place of saying, you're, you're called to a greater commonwealth. As citizens of heaven, we have a civic duty to heaven. And so our living is in, in, in our life together. It's this shared effort. It's together. It's together that we're demonstrating the reality of heaven coming to earth. And that we become witnesses of heaven in that place together. It's, it's in how we engage with one another. It's into how we interact with one another. It's, it's our collective culture and conduct and values that are inhabited amongst us. That it's together that we live as citizens of heaven. And that the world then would take notice of, of these people that are living in a new way. Now, I love the way, like, N.T. Wright so often, N.T. Wright, who is, is a, by the way, he's a, a professor and a theologian, and he just says, he, he so often uses terms like that, we are constantly demonstrating a new way of being human. We're attesting to a new environment and reality. The, the world is meant to see, it's to be observable, like, your the way that you interact with each other, the way that you, you support and love each other, the way that you act with such grace and gentleness and generosity and encouragement, the words that are so often upon your lips, the way, the, the, man, just the way that you treat those outside of, of, of your community. Everything just looks so different. Right, and, and this is the, the space of saying, that, that our living as citizens of heaven together, that this was crucial to the mission and the message of the church. And so Paul tells them, like, you need to stand together in one spirit. You need to together with one purpose. Like, you need to, to contend together, together for the faith. It was that they were, that, that is the, Paul's writing to the Philippian church is like they were meant to be together as they went around and proclaimed this new king in the land of Caesar. And then as we look back at this time, what we'll notice is Rome had no idea what to do with this new collection of people, this new community that was, that was being uh, formed in, in, in their uh, land, in their empire. They didn't know what to do with this Jesus movement because here they were going around and proclaiming there's a new king, there, there's a new kingdom, right? That, that would be, if you're empire, that would be taken as a threat. That would be taken as adversarial. And so, but, but as they observe them and as they seek to imprison them and punish them and kill them because they were going around in the land of Caesar saying there's a new king, they were also bewildered by this new movement because of the way that they conducted themselves. Because even though that they were going around and saying, like, we're citizens of heaven, <laughs> that, 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 that the, the kingdom that ultimately has our allegiance is, is the kingdom of God, they were still living and acting in a way that was seeking to bless and to provide and to be generous towards Rome. 
And so you can only so often feel the, this tension, this bewilderment that the Roman Empire lived in. It's just like if you're trying to overthrow us, you're doing it in a really odd way by blessing us, by, by, by being so generous with us, by taking care of, of those that are poor in our city. Like, we, we, it's just like this place, we don't get it. We don't get you guys. But, but, but the church lived with, with, with in, in this conduct, in this manner, in this posture that was constantly proclaiming this new king this new way of being human, this new way of interacting with one another. So Paul, his instruction to them in understanding was is that this new life was meant to be observable. It was, it was meant to, to demonstrate the trajectory that God has us on. And then, so that's why Paul writes, he says, don't in, be intimidated any, in any way by your enemies. This will be a sign to them that they're going to be destroyed, but that you are going to be saved even by God himself. See, what Paul is writing is he's saying, he says that, that the opposition to this new community of believers, the, those that are opposing you, those that are acting as enemies to this new Jesus movement, listen, the way that they're living, the hostility that, that, that they're breathing with, the, the ways that they're coming up against you, what's that, what that is, is demonstrating is that they're living lives that are disjointed from the author of life. But as you conduct yourselves in, in, as citizens of heaven, as you conduct yourselves in a way that is in alignment with who Jesus is, it demonstrates, it demonstrates to the world that God is your salvation and he's the one that's leading you. And so our conduct shows and demonstrates the, the places that God is leading us into. But Paul also doesn't hold back from letting them know that there will be these ramifications for, for their new way of living. Because as we live with this different set of values, as these different points of emphasis, as our lives are defined by a focus on Jesus, that the reality is that we will start experiencing the same things that Jesus experienced. And so Paul writes to them, and he's in this place of saying, listen, it's an honor. It's an honor to have a life that reflects the character and nature of Jesus. But Paul even goes to the extent of, of, of celebrating that as, those, as our lives imitate Jesus, that they will even imitate Jesus in the suffering that Jesus experienced. Because the message on our lips and the method of our living are constantly meant to communicate the good news. Conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. The reality is, is that we hope to embody living like Jesus, that there will be opposition to that kind of message. In a world that focuses on itself, where humans structure things in a way that would benefit itself. 
but the message upon our lips is, hey, what if we loved our neighbor as ourselves? What if, right, because the message upon our lips is this good news that Jesus came and he laid down his life for the sake of others. And that if, if, the, if the, that's the message upon our lips and the method of our living, then we very likely will experience the same treatment and response that Jesus received. I want you to listen to this story from This American Life, um, and then we'll come back together. Well, it all began at, at Christmas two years ago when my daughter was four years old. And um, it was the first time that she had ever asked about what, it, what, what did this holiday mean. And so I, I explained to her that this was the celebrating the birth of... Uh, of Jesus. And she wanted to know more about that. And we went out and bought a kid's Bible and had these readings at night. She loved them, wanted to know everything about Jesus. Um, so we read a lot about his birth and about his teaching. And um, she would ask constantly what that, what that phrase was. And I would explain to her that it was, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And we would talk about those old words and what that all meant, you know. Um, and then one day we were driving past uh, a big church, and out front was an enormous crucifix. She said, who is that? And I guess I'd never really told that part of the story. <laughs> so I had to sort of, yeah, oh, well, that's, that's Jesus. And I forgot to tell you the ending. Yeah, well, you know, um, he, he ran afoul of the Roman uh, government. You know, this message that he had was so radical and unnerving to the prevailing authorities of the time that they had to kill him. They, they came to the conclusion that he would have to die. That message was too troublesome. So it was about a month later after that Christmas, we'd gone through the whole, whole story of what Christmas meant, and, and it was mid-January, and her preschool uh, celebrates the same holidays as the local schools. So Martin Luther King Day was off. So I knocked off work that day, and I decided we'd play, and I'd take her out to lunch. And uh, we were sitting in there, and right on the table where we happened to plop down was the art section of the local newspaper. And there, big as life, was a huge drawing by, by like a 10-year-old kid in the local schools of Martin Luther King. And uh, she said, who's that? And I said, well, as it happens, that's Martin Luther King. And he's, why you're not in school today? So we're celebrating his, his birthday. This is the day we celebrate his life. And uh, she said, so who was he? And I said, well, he was, a, he was a preacher. And she looks up at me and goes, for Jesus? And I said, yeah, yeah, actually he was. But, um, but there was, there was another thing that he was really famous for, which is that um, he had a message, you know. And you're trying to say this to a four-year-old. It's very, you know, this is the first time they ever hear anything. So you're just very careful about how you phrase everything. So, so I said, you know, uh, well, yeah, he, he was a preacher and he, he had a message. 
she said, what was his message? I said, well, he said that you should treat everybody the same no matter what they look like. And she thought about that for a minute. And she said, well, that's what Jesus said. And I said, yeah, I guess it is. You know, I never thought of it that way, but yeah. I mean, that is sort of like do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And uh, she thought for a minute and looked up at me and said, did they kill him too? A life defined by a focus on Jesus will start going through the same experiences that Jesus experienced. By the grace and the empowering of God's Spirit, our lives will take on the same shape that Jesus' life took on. And one of the most defining moments in the trajectory of Jesus' life was the cross. And, and so to live as citizens of heaven, to live in a manner and to and conduct our lives in a manner worthy of the gospel is, is to be a people that same, have that same posture of living. But Paul calls it an honor. And, and I, I really believe that, that you can have that kind of attitude and understanding when you realize what Jesus' suffering produced. We are here because of the cross. It, it was because Jesus lived in a way that focused on us and not himself that we've been made alive. And, and so Paul tells the Philippian church, just simply says this, listen, we're in this struggle together. That to, to be people that live as citizens of heaven is to be a people that, that, that seek to encourage one another. Keep on living for the sake of heaven. Keep on living with a focus on Jesus. Because we understand that for one another, as, as, as we end our time here together on Sunday morning, that we get spread around the city. And that as we do so, we will find our ourselves in spaces that aren't aware of Jesus, that aren't living in a way that's trying to, to be in alignment with the kingdom of God. And we, we navigate those spaces, and there might be tension. There might even be, it might even provoke hostility. And, and there's a level of exertion that takes place as we live those, in those spaces, that we, that we seek to be in those spaces and live sacrificially with love and affection for the world around us. Oh, but this time together. This time together is a space where we encourage one another. 
It's a space where we recognize with one another, I see you living for the sake and for the glory of Jesus. And, and, and we get to have this, this common space and time to, to focus on heaven together, to, to remind one another where our allegiance and our affection resides, that, that, that here in this space, it would be like a space where we get to again know and understand the reality of heaven. We reside here with Jesus. That this is where we dwell together right now, that we get to be here with one another in a space of saying, I see and I understand that you are also trying to live with this same emphasis and conduct and shape for your life. And we get to be together in this. That there might be other spaces in my week where, 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 where that same focus and emphasis isn't understood, but here, here it is. So, so Paul, for Paul, again, it's that language of partnership and partaking and fellowship with one another. That this is the space that we have in our week where we get to understand that there's a community of people that are trying to live and have their lives shaped by the Spirit of God in the same way that I'm trying to see that take root, take place in my life. So, so church, live as citizens of heaven. Keep on going. Keep on living for Jesus. <laughs> And, and, and may you make sure to have times in this week to intentionally establish rhythms and practices of, of, of stepping back into the reality of heaven. Finding times in your week to interact and relate with, with other people that are also striving to follow Jesus. Make sure that you have the, that rhythm about you. People that will, will help encourage you to live as a citizen of heaven.